You're listening to the Beyond Digital Education podcast with me, Nathan Johnson, and my co-hosts, Carl Kaczynski and Rami Bassi. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to this episode of Beyond Podcast, where today we're going to be tackling um, the question of what does e-learning mean? Um, We all do it. We all do it within our role. Um, The English um, Oxford Dictionary states it as learning conducted via electronic media, especially on the internet. Um, I know there's lots of different definitions of this term, um, and I guess this is why I'd quite like to delve into it. So today, again, I've got with me Carol and Rummy, um, and yeah, we'll just we'll just go straight into it. So, um, what does e-learning mean? What is e-learning? I think that, like you've uh, suggested, Nathan, there are lots of different definitions. Um, I guess the common themes are there's there's a kind of electronic device involved at some stage during this, um, and more commonly nowadays it's online, but not necessarily online either. So when we think about electronic learning, uh, most people wouldn't consider a PowerPoint or a Word document to be electronic learning but they are electronic resources being presented on an electronic device. Um, Just because suddenly that resource is consumed on the internet by a student at a distance doesn't suddenly change it from being e-learning when it wasn't e-learning in the classroom. So I think we need to think about what we really mean when we talk about learning um, rather than the electronic side of it. That's a really good point. And um, I'm just wondering, when we start talking about e-learning, whether it's not even easier to start thinking about what e-learning is not. And maybe that is gonna help us to define how do we understand the e-learning. So one of the things that I would say that e-learning is, or is not actually, it's, it's not mere repository of materials. So for example, when we talk about virtual learning environments like Canvas or Blackboards, um, I have often came across that people are using it as the repository of materials. So they put their electronic resources like Word documents or PowerPoints for into that, that spaces to share to students. And then that's it, job's done. However, does it mean that is it true e-learning? Is the repository of materials? So doesn't that doesn't that come back to Romy's point of, but if I've got a PowerPoint and a Word document, isn't that isn't that e-learning? Yeah, but you're saying it's it's not. It's a repository. So I think this was my point. We need to focus on the learning element of e-learning rather than the e element of e-learning. So just because you've put something up doesn't mean something has been learned. Just because I've told you something doesn't mean you've understood. So and you could maybe even draw the distinction between teaching and learning. You know, what is teaching, what is learning? Um, if there are no activities for the student to grow and develop uh, within that document, that's not necessarily learning. Um, and that's why I really think the emphasis... I mean, e-learning is called all sorts of different things. Technology-enhanced learning, mm. uh, e-learning, um, digital education. Um, there, are, there are a few different terms being bandied about. But I think the, the learning element or the education element are, are what's key to that. 
and there seems to be occasionally too much of a focus on the digital tool. Technology influences education all the time. The printing press when it came out would have influenced education. The idea that we've now got pen and paper that we can write with would have influenced education. Those were technology, those were cutting edge technology at the time. Um, but that doesn't really affect the content that goes into it and the experience that you're trying to create for the student. It's really about what are you trying to get across and has it been understood. So you can make the most glitzy course in the world, but if you haven't got actual content where the student can develop, where you can assess and check that they've, they've understood, it's not really learning, it's not e-learning. Yeah, I do agree with that. So all of the content that is being uploaded online is supposed to be smart, measurable, and should provide some kind of learning objectives for students to be able to reflect on the changes of behaviors and how do we want that uh, behaviors to be changed upon learning. Yeah, and I guess from my um, role as a learning technologist, I, I guess I see it slightly more because um, I'm asked to put together a lot of content um, or digital resources. So yeah, I will put something together that's really flashy and looks nice, or I'll, I'll create a, a beautiful video. Um, and not always have those questions kind of been, been asked, which is, what is the purpose of this? What is the learning from this? And I guess, is that is that my role? Is it my role to ask these questions? Um, or is it for the academics to already know this? Um, I guess as instructional designers, you can come at it from a slightly different perspective of, okay, I, I am the expert and I am going to support the academic and kind of transitioning that knowledge. Whereas me, I'm like, well, I'm not the expert in pedagogy and the, the whys and the uses of the tools, but what I am is I'm really good at creating. Um, but does that mean that my role is now kind of, I don't know, um, explaining the, the hows and the whys? So I think a really, uh, it's really good that you brought in the idea of SMART there. Um, so SMART, specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, um, timely or time-specific um, objectives. Um, this is something that's used quite widely in further education um, and schools in terms of the objectives that... Um, uh, teachers and academics um, produce when, when they're developing their courses need to be smart um, in order to measure them at the end and, and make sure they've been achieved. But also the students need to be able to reflect and we ask, or we used to ask in further education students to set their own targets and then reflect on those targets at the end of it. So even if you're not an expert in pedagogy, which is kind of what you were saying Nathan, um, something as simple as a smart objective is a useful framework to think about when you're creating a resource, what is it you want to create and by when and how are you going to make sure that actually what you've done is done on time and fits the purpose. And it's quite a simple way of thinking about it that works kind of for everyone. Um, but if you just have, uh, so going back to what you're saying about putting a, making a repository of resources, is that a smart resource? And having that in the back of the mind can be a useful way of thinking of it. I guess how do you change the minds of an academic um, we, all, we all understand time pressures um, we all understand okay you can have the, the smartest objective um, but when you have to produce something within 
a week or two weeks because of the lack of engagement for whatever reason, um, how do you make sure that you still kind of keep that material as, as good as it possibly can be? Because um, what I see is, okay, I've got five videos that I need to put together in two weeks because um, that's, that's what happens um, when we work at a university. How then do I make sure that that video or that resource is as effective as it can be? So I guess the point is, is if it's not teaching and learning, is it even necessary for the course? And so you're talking about that, you, you've only got a week to produce it. Actually, dump that resource that you don't need because it's not affecting the learning and spend the rest of the week on the other bits which are going to enhance the learning. So if you're going to produce a video which doesn't enhance the student experience, doesn't teach them anything, they haven't come away with anything which is going to help them progress, why are we even putting it in there? Well, on the other hand, you can argue that it might provide some additional benefits. So for example, the video that Nathan is going to produce might not enhance teaching and learning or is not directly aligned to learning objectives, but might provide some additional values. So might, for example, set the expectation on what is you that you are asking students to do. That's one of the things. I'm not saying that it might be the case, but one of the possibilities. And the other thing I think what is kind of beneficial or it might have potential benefits is, is that aesthetics of the learning courses. Because if you think about that from perspective of current students living in 21st century, they've got Instagrams, you know, they've got Facebook, they can go on the nice flashy websites which are attractive and appealing. And those pages, sometimes they shout, you know, stay on me, just keep scrolling. And the e-learning courses, sometimes they are, you know, they, they, they have that feeling that they are 20 or 30 almost year, years old. So having those aesthetic elements, despite of the fact that they don't provide any learning and teaching content, sometimes they can increase that student experience. 100% Carol, that is um, absolutely true. However, in the example that Nathan gave, he was talking about you've got a week to produce it. So just to drop in a model, and I, I think we're going to talk about different design processes um, in another podcast, but um, Agile, DSDM um, and Moscow. Uh, if you don't know what Moscow is, it's uh, must have, uh, should have, could have, won't have time. Um, and thinking of that as a model, the video that doesn't enhance the learning is not as important as the other learning content. And so I think whilst it's really nice mm -hmm. to have a glitzy website that grabs attention and keeps attention, if the content isn't there in the first place, then what you have is a wonderful site that doesn't really teach you much that you need to learn. Mm -hmm. So the, the must-haves is the learning content, yeah. and that's where the time should be dedicated. Absolutely, I do agree. But shall we think about why are we in that situation to have got one week to produce five videos in the first place? Because that might be the indication that some of the processes that we use... Maybe that's a misunderstanding of what e-learning is. Yeah. And I think the process will also come up in another podcast. So you've got to stay tuned to all of these podcasts. But yeah, exactly, Nathan. You brought it back around to what is e-learning and what is our role as e-learning professionals? Throwing it out there to you two. I think one of the things that we have already briefly mentioned, it's the fact that we focus on that element of e. You know, when we think about the e-learning, we focus on e. And we try to look at the teaching and learning through the perspective of digital world. 
but actually our primary focus should be on learning and how we can enhance that learning and teaching within the students and you know yeah so coming into the role it was very much a okay it's a it's a how do we use the tool um, or what tools do we use what tools do i need to know about um, but the more i've done it um, leading a community of practice as well um, engaging more in the research it has kind of turned into a kind of how do we effectively kind of educate how can we effectively use any of the tools now as a we can remove a maybe have digital um, as my role would focus on more on the digital side not necessarily wholly on the digital um, but how do we use event capture what are the benefits of event capture what's the benefits of using any digital resource any digital tool um, so for me it's been really interesting kind of understanding the research um, the current direction of travel with a lot of digital technology um, and that I mean that could be the electronic the, the e within the e, um, e-learning um, but more the more and more that I do it the more I look at the non-digital um, so when you're kind of trying to replicate the classroom environment online um, there's so much kind of the good stuff in the classroom that actually uh, the classroom environment is, is great let's let's look at the classroom let's show academics what you can do in the classroom as well so it's not my role as an e-learning professional is okay this is how you use a polling app it could be okay this is how you effectively use uh, create a question which is something that you could ask in a classroom or a seminar or um, the use of post-it notes and how maybe that will translate into digital so actually using everything that you've got available to you to enhance that student's experience um, so yeah coming in all digital all the tools move into some pedagogy um, into actually it's all it is learning um, you can just use digital resources within your learning so yeah either it's all e-learning now or it's all just learning and I guess this is where you know learning technologists meet instructional designers because instructional designers have predated any of the VLEs as a, as a kind of role that needs fulfilling how do you structure that learning um, but the digital technologists have that kind of expert knowledge about the digital and the learning and, and there's a kind of marrying of the two roles there which I think we're all kind of blending into a little bit um, but needing to be experts on all facets of learning is a really interesting part of our job and something that we're constantly learning about so we're never quite finished we're always learning more because it, uh, as we mentioned in one of the earlier podcasts the technology is always evolving uh, and so we need to evolve with it um, but the learning and how people learn the research around that has been relatively static obviously there are new developments all the time but relatively static and not evolved as quickly and we need to really get that part of it right before we move on yeah i mean just in terms just in terms of that i mean the research around learning is changing or being developed quite a lot now um some of the theories or the ways that people thought we learned like everyone has a specific learning style and they can't learn in any other ways 
um, I guess because the area of um, e-learning or learning wasn't that big so not that many people were kind of um, researching in that area where so, it's a lot bigger yeah definitely agree like the like sort of minor elements like learning styles which has been brought in bandied about and then mostly discredited although some people are, are still uh, sticking to it actually the, the research shows that if you present materials in a lot of different ways you'll keep engagement um, but I'm talking more along the lines of, so yeah, we've had behaviorists. Uh, we then had a few theorists moving on to um, cognitivism and then constructivist, which is a prevailing theory even today, even though it's been around for a while. Some people have suggested things like connectivism, um, which, you know, others argue is actually just an expansion or an extension of uh, constructivism, but in the online environment. Um, so like some of the core theories sort of still get used and approaches to learning at different orders, things like Bloom, they've been around for ages, uh, the Kolb learning cycle, they've been around for ages. Whether you agree with them or not, they're still cited time and time again when developing theories of learning. But when we look at the digital side of it, because as I was saying, the technology evolves, um, we have to adapt uh, what we're doing to still fit those learning styles because that's what people are used to and that's what people are grounded in. And one of the things that when you were talking about those theorists, I would say that sometimes it, this, when you think about that learning theories from the point of view of behaviorism or cognitivism, it takes, it distracts the, the holistic picture of learning anyway, because the learning, we can be described as the biological process. That's something that actually changes the structure of your brain. You form new memories that you can then apply in different settings uh, so looking through the perspective of different theories that actually might distract you from your goal to promote that learning well it's really good having you here as you know somebody who's uh, teacher trained but also with a psychological background because you're able to add those kind of things um, I think yeah definitely uh, take that on board but there's also the issue of like you know we we've got an understanding of teaching and we're also dealing with people who maybe have less of an understanding of teaching and what Nathan was saying about going into the classrooms and saying well you can do this in the classroom you can do this in the classroom you can do this in the classroom the e-learning part of it is kind of like a byproduct it's mm. like now we'll replicate this in an online environment but we need to get the basics right first and I guess what I'm saying is um, even if I'm wrong about you know the, the approaches to that or I have more to learn about it uh, we need to get the groundwork right in the classroom mm. before we move on and on that note, I don't think we're going to be able to solve the question. <clears throat> I guess we can continue to have lots of discussions around it. But yeah, thank you. Thank you both. You'll hear us on the next episode. You've been listening to the Beyond Digital Education podcast. If you liked what you've heard, please do listen to more of our podcasts and please do engage with us on the topics we've raised.